Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics, and I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Marissa DiNatale and Chris Dorides. Uh, hi, guys. Hey, Mark. Hi, Mark. We uh, had a nice uh, dinner last night. This is uh, th- We're taping this a little early. We're going to re- uh, release this podcast, I think, right before New Year's, or was it right yeah. after New Year's? Right before New Year's. Before. Yeah, okay. Uh, so we're, this is... Uh, this is uh, before thank. This is for Christmas, so a little early. Uh, we're going to talk about the 2023 economic outlook. So a little bit of an evergreen, so not as time sensitive. Uh, but we had a nice uh, dinner last night uh, for one of our retiring colleagues, Sophia Korpetsky. Uh, well, Miss Sophia, she's uh, did she say she's been with us with me for 28 years? Something that's, I think it was 28 that's what years. She said, yeah, yeah, pretty amazing career and. Uh, you know, she was kind of in the background. Uh, she's not like a publicity hound like Marissa is, you know, she's <laughs> always looking for publicity. Yeah. So, uh, That's me. yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, Sophia is a very quiet, uh, person, but it was really critical to keeping all the trains on the tracks, uh, and keeping, uh, all our work going forward and to cross the finish line. Uh, but it's a, a, a fair, but I'd say, a pretty you know reasonably tough taskmaster you know you need a little bit of uh grit and uh, uh the ability to swing some elbows every once in a while to get stuff done especially with a bunch of economists uh and she did that with great aplomb so uh, we'll miss we'll miss her it was it was a very nice dinner and uh thank you sophia for all you've done for the organization for for 28 plus years and she's been yeah. a great labor market economist too and oh I yeah that's right her she didn't she Over say Chris last night she covered on economic view uh where we cover all the releases the employment report for I don't know what 23 years or something, something like that and yeah. She, I, yeah she told me she's written it for 25 years oh 25 25 yeah, years something yeah. like that yeah yeah pretty amazing uh and uh, who's going to cover that report now do you know Dante 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 D'Antonio of course yeah he's always on the podcast on jobs Friday. So he, he knows his stuff. So that's good. Good yeah. to have Dante. Yeah. She made us better. Definitely. She was uh, in a high standards from quality uh, standpoint. She wouldn't let your writing just go through. So uh, she will definitely be missed. Uh, yeah. A very, very nice person. And uh, 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 key to our success for sure. Um, thank you, Sophia. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about the 2023 outlook. We're also going to, uh, add a, a new feature uh, uh, to the podcast um, where we're going to answer listener questions. We've been collecting a few. Uh, we get them every week. Uh, we've c- kind of tried to weave answers to the questions in the podcast itself, but I think we're going to see how this works, Going how this goes. We're going to uh, carve those questions out into a part of the podcast and just, just go through them uh, you know, and uh, answer people's questions. Because if you have a question. It's very likely others have a, a, the same one or a similar one. So, and uh, this means uh, the onus is now back on you, dear listener. You, you if you have questions, uh, fire away. Um, what's the best way to reach us? Would it be help economy at moody's.com? So yep. that's that's kind of our help site. So help economy, one word at moody's m o o d y s dot com. Help economy at moody's dot com. You know, fire away. Send in anything uh, you, that's bugging you, and uh, we'll. Well, when it comes to the economy, I'm sure things are 
all kinds of things may be bugging you <laughs> when it comes to the economy, <laughs> financial markets, you know, any, any kind of, any of that kind of stuff, you know, fire away. And, uh, We'll uh, uh, respond to them in this uh, part of the podcast. I don't think we'll do it every week when we have guests on. That that might be tough to do, listener questions, uh, just given the flow of things. But uh, when we don't have guests on, that would be something we would add to the conversation. So we'll yeah. get to that in a little bit. Sound, that sounds like a good idea, right? Absolutely. And if you can't remember the, uh, the email address, you can always just go to economy.com. And there's a, a link to the podcast there. There's also some of our content. Some of our listeners have asked for follow-ups or articles, you can just go there and oftentimes you'll find articles that are related to what we're talking about. So. Yeah. You know, the other thing, I haven't begged for reviews in a while. Uh, how come people <laughs> give a, give us a review, uh, you know, that, that's helpful, uh, good or bad, you know, uh, that's the feedback is important. So uh, please yeah. uh, feel free to do that as well. Uh, you can do that on Spotify and Apple podcasts, whatever, you know, you can, you can uh, provide a review and uh, that would be good to have as well. Okay. Uh, Let's get down to business, the 2023 economic outlook. <clears throat> and um, I thought we just go, you know, get to the meat of the matter. Uh, and I'll ask, uh, what is the, because all the debate is here is, and it has been on this podcast for some time in, in the, uh, in the, uh, in the media and uh, economic circles is, are we going into recession in uh, 2023? And uh, just a level set. Uh, a recession would be as defined by the National Bureau of Economic Research, the Business Cycle Dating Committee, a group of academic economists that meet regularly and identify the start and end dates of recessions. And they look at a, a wide range of data, plethora of data, everything from GDP, jobs, industrial production, incomes, retail, uh, sales, you know, the whole shoot and match. And then based on their judgment as to whether the economy is experiencing some, a broad base across lots of different industries, decline in economic activity, that's that's persistent, not just for a few months, but for you know a few quarters, that's a recession. And they would define it. Now, unfortunately, unlikely they, if we, even if we had a recession in 2023, they would, def, they would determine that in 2023. It takes a while to get all the data, revisions to come in and you know, the dust to settle. And then they ultimately will tell us. So this may not be, you know, ultimately settled into 2024, but uh, when they opine, but, but uh, you know, barring that kind of, uh, you know, uh, practical issue, uh, that's the recession. So with that as backdrop, Chris, what is the probability that uh, we, the U.S. economy, is going to experience a recession beginning at some point in in calendar year 2023? So I'm going to stick with. Uh... My long-standing prediction of 70%, 70% chance that the MBER will declare a recession. Do you know you are now firmly in the consensus? That is the consensus, I think. I saw a Bloomberg poll. I think it was this morning. I think it was this morning. So it's moved up. It, But it's 70%. It moved wow. up, but it's 70% of, biz, of economists that were surveyed by Bloomberg. And I, I only read the headline, so I don't know any details now say recession in 2023. So they've so, been coming to me. I haven't been going to them. But. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, how does it feel to be in the consensus now? Now I'm a little nervous. I know. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it has gone I like gone to be up. the outsider. What's yeah, that? And it has gone up. It was, I think, the last time they did the survey, and again, I, I don't know when that was. I didn't read it carefully. It was 66, 66%. So they went from 66 to 70. 
So, which means there are, you know, that's presumably the middle of the distribution of responses. So there's got to be a fair number of economists that are 75, 80, 85, 90%. So high degree of certainty. Well, there's one outfit we know of that uh, has declared 100%. Yeah. Bloomberg <laughs> itself, I think, right? Yeah. The, the, yeah. I think they they think for sure we're going in, which is a, a bit bold. Of, a little yeah. hubris, but okay. You know, making a statement here. Yeah. Yeah. Loud and clear. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Marissa, what what is your probability of recession in 2023? Fifty-five percent. Fifty-five percent. Okay. I'm going yeah. in the opposite direction of, of Chris. Coming, I've been coming down. I got to mix it up. You know, it's it's good. That's good. Yeah, I mean, if you go back when uh, a month ago, maybe two, I'm not sure. A couple were, months ago, I was at around 60, 60, 65. 65, right? Yeah. So you've grown a little bit more optimistic. I have. Yeah. Okay, we'll come back and explore that uh, in a little bit more detail. And then I'm still at 50%, 50-50, which I know everyone's saying, oh, that's just a cop-out. Uh, and uh, you know, to some degree it is, but uh, I do have to pick a side uh, because I have to put pen to paper, I have to produce a forecast, an explicit forecast that our clients use that's sitting in our databases that clients use uh, you know, uh, regularly. And in our baseline forecast, um, that I uh, there's no recession. Uh, the economy's weak in 2023. Slow growth, job growth comes to a standstill. Unemployment starts to notch higher, but but no recession in in uh, in 2023. Chris, can it, I ask? This is a recession, though, right? You have a 50 basis point increase in unemployment rate over a year, which has been consistent with uh, recessions in the past. You just get up to that line under the baseline. Oh right? yeah, yeah. I get. I I mean, 50-50. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't argue with anyone on either side of it too strongly. I mean, I, I can see it going either direction here, and of course, I think the Fed, yeah, with the recent meeting, uh, FOMC meeting, where they raised interest rates another half percentage point, they, they put out their a summary of economic projections, so-called SEP, and I think in that forecast, they have the unemployment rate rising by more than half a point over a year. That's right. That's right. So uh, the implied recession, I guess, is uh, is there. But, and people read that because say think that because every time the unemployment rate has risen by more than half a percentage point over a, a period of a year, that marks the almost to the month. I think the, the beginning start. of recessions. Yeah. Right. Right. So if the Fed has a forecast that has the unemployment rate rising by I don't know what it was seven eight tenths of a percent. By the end of twenty three, that that would be if history is a guide, which suggests recession. They are now collectively their collective wisdom is recession, although right on the edge. You know, right very, on the that's right. right on the edge. Yeah, I don't think we've ever had a recession that stopped exactly, right? Got up to fifty basis points and then didn't go higher, right? Yeah, that's just where it's where it demarks that's the, demarcation. The you right. keep on going. Well, right. that's the recession. I mean, we're yeah. unemployment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, uh, let me ask you this, Chris, just, uh, cause this is a discussion we've been having internally. Yeah. How would you describe the baseline? I mean, in a, in a typical time, you know, you have this distribution of possible economic outcomes, right? You know, the, uh, and, yep. and the baseline, the easy way to say it is it's in the middle of the distribution of possible outcomes. There's an equal probability 
things are going to be worse than the baseline. And that would include recession scenarios and some pretty dark scenarios. And there's an equal probability things could be better than, uh, than the baseline. Yeah. Uh, it, that becomes a little more complicated to say when the economy's at full employment, right? When, mm-hmm. you know, because at that point, you can't push unemployment any lower without generating inflation and ultimately higher rates and a recession. So it gets a little bit more complicated. But generally, that's that's the way we think about it. In the current context, where the distribution, it's not normal. It's not a normal bell-shaped kind of distribution. Obviously, the risks are skewed. When I say 50-50, the skewed risks are definitely skewed to the downside here. Uh, so, how would you characterize the the baseline in you know in the current context? So I, I'd say our baseline has a, a growth recession. I think you know it's. I know people don't really like that. Term. It's a little squishy term, but um, I can't come up with anything better. It's right on the edge between a growth recession and a mild, a very mild recession. Right, so that's how I would. Um, characterize it broadly. I also would point out though that we're talking about the aggregate, right? We're talking about a broad based uh, type of description here, but there clearly are parts of this forecast that are very uh, dark when it comes to say the housing market, right? There are parts of the economy that are deeply in recession, uh, even with this overall um, skirting of the, uh, of, uh, the recession definitions. So I think it really, the overall uh, um, definition is interesting, but the, the components I think are even more interesting to different people with different interests, different uh, perspectives, different places where they uh, where they participate in the economy. So it, I wouldn't just look at the overall definition and stop there. I'd, I'd want to go a little bit deeper. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, in our baseline forecast, no recession forecast, Growth comes to a standstill. GDP growth, I think, you know, uh, Q4 to Q4, Q4 of 2022 to Q4 of 23 is less than 1%, you know, uh, so well below the economy's 2% poten- potential. Yeah. Job growth slows to a trickle. We have some months that are pretty close to zero, maybe slightly positive. Uh, and uh, in that kind of environment, that does mean parts of the economy are in recession, right? By definition, right. if you're, if the aggregate economy is traveling close to zero in terms of growth, something's got to be falling. And, and, and that's, you know, housing obviously would be a case in point. Anything housing related, mortgage finance, uh, that would be uh, struggling. Ma- lot, big parts of manufacturing uh, are, I think, if not in recession, pretty close. I, I guess the exception might be the vehicle industry, just because there's so much pent up demand there. We may not, you know, as supply chains ease and uh, vehicle uh, industry can get more cars to sell, they'll sell them. But uh, but uh, uh, but uh, manufacturing is in recession. The transportation sector. Do you see Federal uh, Express? Uh, yeah. They, they you know uh, downgraded their expectations for profitability and uh, going to engage in more cost cutting their ceo thinks we're going into a worldwide recession and and I, no doubt for him that their fedex is in recession right because you know they this time last year were shipping lots of stuff because people were still buying goods and now they're not and uh, they're struggling uh so transportation distribution any other sectors uh you know even in the baseline uh no recession scenario where We'd see what sectors would be down. 
I think those are the most notable. I would say construction broad. If you think about commercial real estate, I don't know if that, you include that in your sure. No, yeah, commercial clearly, real estate, right? Yep. There's because we also have the structural issues that are catching up with us as well in terms of office usage. All right, so I think in 2023 we'll start to see some reckoning in terms of office prices really revealing the underlying value or lack of value um, as uh, firms are refinancing and also trying to understand or plan for uh, future in- investments. So I'd say construction, probably the financial industry is going to yep. suffer uh, here as well. Right? If, if there is a pullback in credit and uh, if we are starting to see some additional losses here, um, there's certainly, certainly weakness Maybe not a full blown recession for finance, but right limited growth right. at at minimum, right? Right. Any others, Marissa? Any other that's, sectors? That's a lot. Yeah, that is I a mean, lot. That yeah. that's a lot of interest rate sensitive um, segments of the economy. I mean, the the stuff that continues to do really well is education, healthcare, um, and I don't think we're expecting much of a slowdown there. So yeah, no, I think you, I think you covered it all, Yeah, but you're right. I mean, if we're getting barely any job growth on a month to month or quarter to quarter basis, that means there are industries that are outright losing jobs. Right. And I think, I I think you're right that it's going to be the interest rate sensitive parts of the economy. I mean, we're already starting to see that tech we're seeing now. Oh, tech's the other one, right? Right. Yeah. 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 Companies that need to finance right large uh, investments and that's becoming more difficult in a high interest rate environment. So, yeah, <clears throat> expect that to continue if the Fed keeps raising rates into next year. Yeah, okay. and then anything discretionary, right? Travel, tourism. Mm-hmm. Well, not in the baseline. I would, I would say. I mean, that would. I, I think that would. If you get into a re- full blown recession. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry. Yeah. I'm thinking yeah, you're, my, this is I'm your thinking of my recession now. <laughs> your, your, your recession. That's my forecast. But. Yeah. I mean, if we're skirting along bottom, that, that that means there's a fair number of sectors that are growing and doing yeah. reasonably okay. And I think in that discretionary might hold up okay. Uh, you know, it's not going to be gangbusters, but uh, okay, just given all the pent-up demand for travel and restaurants and ball games and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and definitely at the higher end. Right. At the higher end, anything catering to high income households, right? Where right. there's resources, financial resources. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's go back to the uh, the seventy percent and the fifty five percent, and then uh, I'll throw in my three cents as well. Uh, it, that seventy percent is uh, a, 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 an important threshold because it, in our forecasting, in our work, we and I've mentioned that we've mentioned this a number of times before in the podcast. Uh, for us to make a change like this one, a big change in our forecast from no recession to an outright recession, and maybe we should talk a little bit about what, about what an outright recession means in terms of numbers, but you know, typically, but that's a pretty big change, right? I mean, in the it, it, maybe I'll do it now. In the in the current context, if we suffered the typical recession, say go look at the twelve recessions since World War II. Look at the average length, look at the ad- average decline in GDP, peak to trough, look at what happens to jobs and unemployment. The typical recession lasts 10 months. GDP falls almost 3% peak to trough. In the current context, meaning the current size of the labor force, we'd lose almost 4 million jobs probably, 4 million. And so that's a lot of jobs. You know, you'd see months where you're down 
three, 400,000 jobs potentially, you know, something like that. That's, that's a big difference from that in our baseline of zero. Unemployment, we go to 6%. Now, it doesn't mean the recession that's dead ahead of us is going to be typical. It could be less severe, and we should right. talk about that as well. But that gives context. It's a, it's a big deal to go from no recession to recession. And for us to make that change in our forecast, our baseline forecast, and again, we, we do a bunch of all kinds of scenarios and downside scenarios. So we, we've got we've got that covered. But if for the for the baseline, the the uh, the uh, the headline forecast, the kind of again, kind of sort of the middle of the distribution, the modal forecast. Uh, we have to have a very high conviction uh, conviction of that. That means to put a number on it, a two, over a two thirds probability that that's going to happen. So you say seventy, yeah, percent. That's that's more than two thirds. So y- you are now chief economist, and you're running the ship, and you're saying we got to put a recession in our in our forecast. Uh, that's what you're saying with the seventy percent. So that's a that's a an important number. Okay, given that, uh, uh, characterize that recession for me. Uh, how long? How deep? Um, you know when? Uh, you know uh, exactly? Because again, you have to put yep. pen to paper. You can't be <laughs> waving your hand and say, "Oh yeah, sometime in 2023, we're gonna we'll see things go bad." Now you, you could you could do that, but you also have to say, "Here's the numbers. This is these are the numbers." So uh, give us the numbers. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's very important to characterize that average distribution. I'm I'm advocating for a something milder than that average, right? So in terms of what this recession looks like, uh, I my leading uh, hypothesis is that it it is uh, caused by the tightening uh, that we've experienced in the economy. That that does catch up with us in 2023, causes consumers and businesses to pull back losses on credit cards and other uh, credit instruments start to rise, and that leads to the actual recession, the broader uh, recession. So I'm thinking of something around Q3 in terms of uh, a start. The uh, duration will be shorter than that 10-month average you mentioned, right? So I I don't think it'll um, last that long for some of the positive aspects that I'm sure we'll get into in terms of the the strength of consumer balance sheets and business balance sheets fundamentally, right? So there are some reasons why this wouldn't last uh, a particularly long time. And then the depth, I, I don't see it as being particularly uh, deep uh, either. So in terms of job losses, I can see a million or two million uh, lost jobs, which you know, on the surface is still devastating, right? That's still a lot of people uh, losing, losing work, but it's not the typical uh, recession. For that, one reason why I'm not at something higher than 70% is is really due to that job market figure, right? If I'm only uh, suggesting a million or two million uh, job losses, there's a chance the MBR comes along, MBER comes along, the committee uh, you mentioned, and says, well, that's not broad enough or that's not pervasive, uh, that's not deep enough to really uh, define a recession. So that's that's oh, why I, I vacillate yeah. a little bit because I think we'll be right on the edge. Mm of what they might uh, consider uh, a recession. But at the end of the day, I think they will, because I I do expect it to be uh, fairly uh, broad-based here. So so the recession, second half of 2023, kind of less severe than the typical, maybe half length. Yeah, let's call it half. Half Half length. length, So basically the second half of the 23 and half the severity, if you measure it in terms of jobs. Right. And the unemployment rate doesn't go to six, it might go to five. Five, five, 
five and a quarter, something like that. Yeah, five and a quarter. Okay. And you get negative quarters of GDP growth in your scenario, Chris? You do, but they're not very deep, right? Barely negative. And in the in the recession as you described it is not caused by any additional shocks or mistakes or it's it's in the it's baked in the cake so to speak that's what it felt like you just said that the, given what the fed has done already even if the fed stopped today raising interest rates so they raised rates a half a point when they met a week or two ago the funds rate target which was at zero at the start of 2022 is now four and a quarter to four and a half percent given that increase in rates uh, and of course they've been they're articulating more rate increases to come yeah. and, and the expectation in the marketplace and it's consistent with our baseline is another half point mm-hmm. to put the funds rate target the ter- so-called terminal rate the highest the rate we're going to get in the cycle at four and three quarters to five you're saying you know even if they don't do that or maybe you're saying so, if they do do that I'm assuming they do do that oh, okay so right? they follow so, through and they get to five yeah that and that's the end of the story in terms of the rate increases. And then that's enough. The die is cast at that point. That's right. Mm-hmm. Then it takes you know quarter or so to, for that to fully be digested, and that's what causes the, or leads to the the last straw, if you will. Right. Right. And it, it doesn't take anything else happening. Uh, oil prices don't have to go up. Uh, uh, the pandemic doesn't have to come back. China doesn't have to shut down again. I'm making stuff up. You know, obviously that are top of mind, but. Uh, no, if those things, that's right. I think that the, the scenario I've described here is really, it can be endogenous. Uh, it's sort of endogenous, sort of already built in. It's baked yeah. in the cake. To if we get some of those other factors, then it argues for yeah. a deeper, more severe recession, right? Or maybe yeah. faster even, right? It could, those would be. Um, in, in fact, I would go to, to back to the Fed. The, the market is already expecting five. That's So that's already built into financial conditions and. That's already cursing. The effects of that are already coursing through the economy already. So even if they go to five and stay there, that, that's already that's that effectively is already being you know uh, brought into the marketplace and, and affecting the economy. They don't. It is. It, yeah. it hasn't been fully realized. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah. banks are certainly tightening their standards, right? Reacting, anticipating uh, that path, but you know it won't. Until business really have to go refinance their loans, or or households really have to pay their their bills, the real effects on the economy won't won't appear. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. what that's a part of the lag here. Yeah. By the way, this is a, a an adjustment in the way you describe things, right? Because we had a bit of a yeah, you know, I'd say it's a kind of an economist tiff back a few weeks ago around what would cause the recession, and you you kind of went back on oh, there's going to be some other things that go wrong. And because the economy is so fragile, that would be enough to push us in. But what I'm hearing you now say is we don't even need that. It's it's kind of baked. It's happening. Regardless yeah, I, of whatever happens out there, <clears throat> even if even everything sticks to script, there's no shocks, no nothing. We're going in. That's yes, what I Yes. Although my the caveat here is how I've described the the severity, right? So again, those oh, okay. other shocks yeah, would yeah. Yeah. Then, then I think there's no question. If we get some other shock here, then yeah. I think there's no real question for NPR, uh, yeah. right? It depends that on it's... the shock, obviously. I mean, no one would argue with that. I mean, I, right. I, I wouldn't argue with that, right? right. But then we're getting three, four million job losses. Then I think there's no debate, right? MB, the MBR would come in and say, yes, that is a recession, right? Broad-based. I think there's no real question there. Yeah. And what I've described today, this more uh, this milder version, right? That's where I think there's 
that uh, that that room for discussion or debate. Okay, that really, I, that I, really I just go. I, I I go on a little. No, I don't think I'm going on a limb here. If we lose one to two million jobs, I'd be shocked if the NBER doesn't, you know, because if you lose one two million jobs, unemployment is that's closing in on five. I would be pretty surprised if they don't label that a recession. I'd be pretty surprised. No. Yeah, but if it's concentrated, even then you can argue. Well, it's all uh, in the tech sector or just in certain areas, just in housing. I boy, don't know. but but a million two, you're losing jobs in lots of places. I think. Yeah, that doesn't typically happen. Yeah, right? it doesn't typically. It doesn't happen. typically happen, right? Yeah. So okay. This- all right. Okay. You see, you see, he's, uh, I, I, somehow I feel like he's finding a way out. Uh, no, no. <laughs> he's trying to. He, I haven't quite figured it out yet. But he's trying to find find a way out of this thing. No, no. I hear you though. No, no. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We'll make the okay. dollar bet right. at the end, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I hate these dollar bets. I do lose the dollar bets. Uh, that's why I haven't made a dollar bet on this one because I always lose the dollar bets. I'm too cavalier with a dollar. Make it a million. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> then we're gonna. Then we're gonna really know. That we'll really, know. Of no gonna pay that. <laughs> yeah, that will know. They will know. So, Marissa, you're at fifty-five percent. So you would hold on to the baseline. You would not change the baseline. Yeah, so I, I think I'm. I think Chris is on one edge of the baseline, and I'm on the the opposite edge. So I think that we're going to avoid this. That I agree. So obviously, financial market conditions are tightening, but I think the Fed has done a good job of transmitting this well in advance. They may have been on the late side, starting to raise rates, but at the end of twenty one, they telegraphed that they were going to go from quantitative easing to quantitative tightening. They've been talking quite a bit. I think market expectations have been very well anchored through most of this whole thing, except with like a blip when during the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, And I think, as you said, two, maybe three more rate hikes are baked in now to market expectations. And the Fed has at their last meeting with their dot plots, right, they've pretty much said we're expecting a terminal Fed funds rate now of just over 5%. I think that that's been so far well tolerated by financial markets. Sure, things are tightening. We do see tightening in lending standards for things like credit cards, a little bit for autos, mortgages a tiny bit interest rate sensitive segments of the economy are slowing. But I do think households have maybe never been in a better position than they are now coming into this in terms of um, excess saving that they have. The labor market has held up. Sure, there's evidence that it's cooling off, but so far we see that in employers pulling back on hiring or canceling open job positions, but not really laying people off with the exception of, you know, these announcements in the tech sector, right. That have made headlines, but we're not really seeing that in other parts of the economy and business balance sheets are also very, very healthy. Um, Households are on the whole locked into fixed rate, low interest rate loans and mortgages. So, if you're going to see pullback among households, it might be in things like, you know, credit cards, right? Things that are uh, variable rate and and um, can change over time. And maybe we'll see some pullback in, in spending there. But 
it just feels like my assumption is that all the things that'll happen that Chris just laid out will happen, but on the other side, we'll get through it without a recession. I think the job market's going to slow. I think uh, job openings are going to come down. We're already seeing that, but I don't think there's going to be massive layoffs throughout the economy. Yeah. So uh, that all makes sense to me. Um, And that's kind of sort of how I think about it, why I'm still at 50% that the I just don't see the kind of underlying weaknesses in the economy that typically prevail before recession. And the thing that would uh, would suggest that doesn't matter at all, but don't worry about the fundamentals, is if inflation remained more persistent and the Fed had to raise rates more than what we're expecting, yeah. what markets are expecting. And I, I don't, at this point, given the better inflation statistics, I I'm increasingly confident that a 5% funds rate target is going to be sufficient to slow things down so that, you know, inflation comes in in a reasonably orderly way. And that's not going to be the problem. And if you ask me, Mark, if you're wrong, you know, what would it take for you to think that a recession is going to occur? I would say that inflation is just going to be more persistent than, than anticipated. But I feel, I feel increasingly more confident that inflation is going to come in and we, we can, we can talk about that, but the fundamentals are pretty darn good. And you mentioned consumers, they're in pretty good financial health. Again, yeah, I should, we should all say we're paying with a broad brush here. I mean, there's a lot of yeah. things underneath that. I mean, low income households are struggling, but middle income and particularly high income households are doing just fine. Thank you. They've got plenty of cash sitting in the, in their checking accounts built up during the pandemic and they're using that businesses are in good shape, you know, debt, the GDP is stable. Uh, businesses have done a great job locking in the low rates like households have. Uh, the financial system feels like it's pretty good. I mean, there have been some cracks here and there. Uh, the biggest one was overseas in the UK with their pension plan, but that was a, a, a footfall of a mistaken policy. Um, and you know, the banking system is highly capitalized, very liquid post-financial crisis. Uh, just feels like the system's in a good spot. You talked about real estate markets. I mean, housing is underbuilt. It's, it's not, it, you know, vacancy rates are pretty close to record lows, at least in the home ownership market. Uh, yeah, office, but, you know, that's small in the grand scheme of things. Um, I don't think that, and it, it's not like, it's, a, it's not like vacancy rates are high in office because of construction. It's just because of the shift in, in preferences to remote work and lack of uh, decline. Uh, and state and local governments are flush. You know, they raked in a lot of tax revenue and they got a boatload of cash from the American Rescue Plan that they can spend out through 2026. And then here's the other thing. Um, a fiscal policy, you know, federal fiscal policy, hard to believe this, but it was a major headwind to growth in uh, 2022, right? Because we had all that juice with the uh, all the support during the pandemic with uh, ending with the American rescue plan in March of 21 that provided tremendous fiscal tailwinds in, in growth in 2022, but by, excuse me, in 2021, but, but, but now by the second half of 2022, that's turned into a bit of a headwind and that that's not going to be, that's going to be now increasingly turning back into a bit of a tailwind is the other pieces of legislation passed in the Biden administration are going to kick in, the most obvious being the infrastructure bill. That's going to start adding to growth in the second half of 23, going into 2024, just when you think the recession is going to hit, Chris. 
So Some. not a lot though, right? Not not a lot, that's not a lot. But I'm just it, but, but on but the yeah. mark. Yeah, that's in my litany of reasons. I yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. My litany of reasons. I hear you. So, uh, you know, I look at those things and I say, really, um, this doesn't feel like the fodder is in place for an economic downturn. So, so, uh, Marissa, back to you. I mean, did I miss anything in that litany? I just I mean, want to say two more things yeah. that I thought of while you were talking. One on the housing market. We've been saying the housing market's in recession. But as from a household perspective and a wealth effect perspective, really, unless you bought a house and probably overpaid for it in 2020 or 2021, even uh, unlike in the financial crisis, even if house prices fell 10% for most people, that's still going to put them above board on what they owe on their home, right? So if you bought a house in 2018, 2019, and you lose five to 10% of value in that house, in most of the major housing markets in this country, you're still up from where you started because house price increases were so astronomical. So unless you bought a house very recently, I think the wealth effect here is not as much of a concern to me in terms of housing. Okay, so just to just but, to put what, 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 just so listeners understand where you're coming from, because you, you kind of went back. And the, I did the, back, yeah. yeah. And what you're saying now is okay. One reason why you might be nervous about a recession is the what's going on in housing. Housing's getting uh, crushed because of the run up in mortgage rates and the lack of affordability. House prices now are rolling over and starting to come in. And the concern is, well, with people losing housing wealth, that the so-called wealth effect will affect their spending and savings decisions. And that is a reason to be concerned. And you're saying, well, not so much. Is That's that's the point of, of what you're just saying right now. Yeah, I'm saying okay. for the majority of households, even if we lost, even if the value of my house falls 5%, I'm still in a pretty good position. Okay. Now, before we go into your second point, Chris, I, I heard you Chris said you had two disagrees. points. Chris wants to say something. <laughs> he wants to say something about housing for yeah, sure. Housing, yeah. <laughs> uh, By the I, way, I he's, he is the, he is the expert, Marissa. I'm That's just right. saying. I'm just saying. You you are now in the in his territory. I've right? picked the wrong fight. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. All good. Okay. I think you're right in terms of the chances of default. Right. People are still in a positive equity position. There's no reason to default. They've locked in these low mortgage rates. They have to live somewhere, but I think there is still a wealth effect there. And if you're if, in terms of uh, savings, or additional savings versus spending, right? If I was counting on that appreciation for my retirement, I was cutting back on my my saving. Now that has to reverse, and I have to start saving again um, to build up or replace that that loss of how loss of housing wealth. So I do think that that psychological effect. Is, uh, is also at play here in terms of um, where we go and how the uh, recession play out. I, I think that's a whole nother podcast to tell you the truth. I've got so many things I'd like to say about that on, <laughs> on, the, on the housing wealth effects, but uh, but uh, we, we, that's definitely a podcast. You know, we could get someone to come definitely. in. And, yeah, okay. yeah, definitely a podcast. What's the second thing you were going to say, Marissa? The other thing I was going to say is the reason I'm at 55 and not at 50 with you, yeah. why, why I've been yeah, a little I was bit ask higher, yeah. is just that... I do think we're in a fragile position and I do think there is a chance that we get some sort of exogenous shock or something happens with supply chains. The COVID situation in China is really bad now. You know, the more I read about it, the more I'm nervous about something emanating from China. 
to really slow down the global economy more than we're expecting. And I just think if there's something like that happens, if the situation in Ukraine gets worse, Russia does something, you know, off the grid here, I just think it's going to be very, and I think we all agree, it would be very difficult for the U.S. economy to avoid a recession in that case. And I guess I'm just a little bit more pessimistic about the possibility of something happening in the rest of the world. Yeah, I, I'm actually sympathetic to that argument. And I like, you know, that's reasonable to be at 55% with that argument. It's hard to have that argument and, and be over 66% and change your baseline. Because once you change your baseline, then you got to define exactly what, what that shock is. is. And that this is back to that tiff that Chris and I had back. Listener, you should go back and listen to that. That was a pretty, uh, I'd say, for us, a heated exchange. Uh, so... Uh, on on this issue, it, that's hard to build in, but I yeah, I'm sympathetic, uh, you know, to that to that argument. So so Chris, to you, back to you. Yeah. Um, what would it take? What would have to happen for your probabilities to fall from seventy back below that sixty six, uh, and let's say all the way back to you know fifty, you know, something like that, meaningfully lower. Let's put it that way from the seventy percent that you have today. Your baseline would go back to no recession. Yeah, I'd say that uh, certainly those global risks, right? If we got an upside shock uh, from one of them, that would certainly uh, reduce the odds of a U.S. recession considerably. So, if there was some type of ceasefire or resolution of the of the uh, war in Ukraine, right, that certainly would help energy markets, would help Europe, would help Asia, and would help the U.S. by extension in terms of stabilizing energy prices, getting a little bit more certainty uh, going forward. Uh, Chinese, I agree with you, Marissa. I think that there's a lot of uh, concern around the Chinese economy uh, right now. So any type of resolution there um, in terms of COVID, right? My uh, my plan is to uh, you know, give all the mRNA vaccines we can to, uh, to China, get that population uh, vaccinated as quickly as possible. I think that would be a, a great outcome, uh, not only for the Chinese economy, but for the globe. So that would so certainly getting COVID under control in China um, would uh, be a significant upside risk, would help the supply chains, it would help their domestic demand. It would certainly help to um, cool some of the social unrest that that uh, they're experiencing as well. So I see that as, as a positive. And I do remain uh, quite concerned about uh, Europe. I think I've said this in the past in terms of uh, energy uh, related to Ukraine, but even more broadly, I think they'll get through this winter just fine. But uh, as we get into the spring and summer and they're looking to replenish uh, their gas stocks, that's that's a, a downside risk. If there was, if there is um, accelerated movement in terms of LNG or other types of um, fonts of energy uh, into the European economy, I think that could uh, certainly be a, a positive factor as well. That could also help, uh, again, bringing those energy prices down, bringing inflation down faster, I guess, is at the root of this. Um, that those would be all up, upside risks uh, I could see here. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you're that's interesting. You're saying it, it, you need a positive shock for you for it to come for your probabilities to come back in. It, it's not something in endogenously determined in the economies that will allow. Like if, if I told you uh, inflation is going to moderate more quickly at this point than is anticipated by most forecasters, and just the level set there, 
consumer price inflation year over year is about 7%. I think it's 7.1 to be precise in November. The peak was about nine in June of this year, 2022. We've got it coming down to, you know, probably half of what it is today by the end of 23, say three and a half percent ish. And then by mid 2024, it's back within spitting distance of the Federal Reserve's uh, inflation target, which on CPI, consumer price inflation, by our calculations, probably about two and a half percent. If inflation came in faster than that, yeah, for, not not related to lower a, sh- a positive sh- supply shock like a you know end of Russian uh, aggression, oil prices come in, but it's just coming in faster. You know, it just comes in. Fa- it's easier to get service price inflation down than than is the case right now. Okay, so wages it, it, moderate. Yeah, wages moderate. Yeah, the, the, the wages aren't as sticky as people think. That it was all. Yeah. Inflation expectations driven with oil prices and gas prices down. Inflation expectations come in. Wage growth comes in. Service price inflation moderates. And we're back to the Fed's target by, let's say, the end of 2023 going into 2024. You're saying at this point, doesn't matter, you know, uh, that we're going in. That That's not enough to – it well, has to be some kind of positive shock. That, I mean, if – so I guess you're saying my if uh, my behavioral assumptions are wrong here that uh, inflation comes in a lot faster than what I'm anticipating. Yeah, that would be a that would be a cause for me to to reevaluate and lower the the recession probabilities, right? But but it really shouldn't though, right? Right? Because you're saying the five percent. I'm getting a five percent on the funds rate target by you know, presumably in the next few months. We, that's the end of the story. And we're going into recession by the second half of the year. It's, it doesn't feel like there's much that can save the day here other than some kind of positive shock, something that you know goes goes right for us as opposed to wrong. It's not something, the diet, I guess the point I'm trying to make is the forecast you're giving, it feels like you're saying the die is cast unless there's some major event uh, that, that saves the day here. Yeah, but I'm presuming a certain path for inflation, right? I'm a presuming a number of effects here. I, I I could be wrong. I want to be humble, right? Uh, I could be wrong about that. Maybe inflation, to your point, maybe it comes in a lot faster uh, than what I'm anticipating. And therefore, the Fed doesn't need to go to 5%. And in fact, they can start cutting at the end of the year and give support uh, to the economy, right? Just at a time when I'm thinking uh, it's going to be particularly weak. So that would be that would certainly be an upside uh, risk as well that I've, I, I'm not reading the tea leaves properly, or there's some other adjustments that uh, that the that uh, businesses and, and households make behaviorally that bring in uh, inflation at, at a much faster pace. Right? Yeah, maybe okay. there's more exploration of oil in the U.S. Right, more fracking, whatever it is. All right, so that supports energy prices coming down, coming in faster. Yeah. Okay. So. Well, for me, the thing that would drive my odds up, you know, the recession probability is up and for us to change our forecast, abstracting from I, 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 the negative shocks, I just, I, I agree that the probability that's high and we may go into recession. That's why I'm not arguing. I wouldn't argue strongly with anyone who says we're going into recession. I just can't build that into a baseline forecast. I don't know how to do that in a reasonable way at this point. So uh, the thing that would make me... Uh, uh, ultimately res- uh, change the forecast to have recession in it would be a, 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 the most likely would inflation would just have to be more persistent than I'm anticipating and that the Fed would have to continue to raise rates that they can't, they take it to five, they look around, they see, oh my goodness, inflation's not coming in. 
wage growth is not moderating. Job growth is not slowing sufficiently to get wage growth uh, moving south. Uh, also, you throw in if inflation expectations start rising again, uh, then uh, I have no choice here. I, you know, I, I'm, for me, uh, the a necessary condition for a well-functioning economy is it's not sufficient, but a necessary condition is low and stable inflation. So I'm going to five and a half. I'm, I'm I may even go to six. I may go to six and a half. And and you know that that will break the economy at some point and we'll go into recession. So for me, that's what it would take, you know, to change uh, that we get into next year and it just the inflation statistics look just don't look good. You know, we're not getting like we got last month a couple tenths of a percent. By the way, just throwing it out there, the December CPI report that we're going to get, that's going to look primo. Uh, that's going to look really good. Another good uh, CPI numbers coming. And that should help. But uh, if you if you get in early next year and we start getting 0. 0.3, 0. 0.4 on core, 0. 0.5, I think, you know, uh, at that point, I'd say uh, I've got to pack it in. We're going the funds rates going higher and we're going we're going into recession by the end of 23, going into uh, 24. And you're really um, pointing to wage growth as the causal, a major causal factor. Only because that's what the Fed is most focused on. I mean, by the way, that's another podcast. I'm not sure why we're so focused on that. I mean. Anyway, I don't want to go down that path, <laughs> but we should talk about that. We should talk about, but the, yeah, the Fed is focused on that's the one thing yeah. they can control, or they at least they, they think, think they, they can, can control. control. Right. Yeah, so they're focused on that, and if they can't get wage growth down, they'll keep pushing rates up. If they keep pushing rates up, by definition, at some point we're going into recession. It's just going to happen. I mean, at some point the rates are going to be too high for too long, and something's going to break, and we're going in. So if we're seeing that still in February, March, right, elevated four and a half, five percent wage growth, then you would. Contemplate. Yeah, I mean, I, first first principle is the, is the inflation statistics. I mean, if, okay. if what, yeah, that, that's the most important. Yeah, of course, if inflation yeah. statistics are bad. We're you know doesn't matter. If inflation statistics are good, the then I go take a look at the wage growth, and if that feels like it's rolled over and coming in, then I, I feel good about my forecast, the baseline forecast. If that's if it's not it's coming fine. in. Then I'm thinking, you know, uh, we got we're gonna have a problem. The problem with wage growth, the reason why I'm hesitating there. Is the data sucks? Uh, you know, it's just not good. Uh, it's very difficult to at least the timely data, right? Yeah. The yeah. the average hourly earnings you get every month, it's yeah. very hard to interpret. Uh, gets revised. It's seasonal adjustment issues, timing of the survey, yeah. composition. It's a mess. Yeah. The employment cost index, which I do trust, and the only thing I really trust, uh, that comes out quarterly with a long lag. So yeah. you're you're saying. If it comes into February, March, I'm saying, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to get that data for Q1 until what, May, you know, something like that. So, you know, it's hard to know exactly when, you know, I would, would, would change in my mind. So that's part of the crux of my thesis then in, in terms of the Fed, right? And whether it's, I hate to use the word mistake because they're just reacting to the data that they have, but that certainly could be a condition for them to uh, continue raising or not to cut. Because of those long lags in the reliable data, right? They only have the hour of learning, so that's the best they can do when they're making their decision. Right? Okay, that's a great segue into the listener questions. So, okay, right. new feature of uh, of Inside Economics. We're going to take a few questions, and again, strongly encourage listeners to fire away. Help economy. That's one word. Help economy at moody's.com or go to economy.com the website and there's a place for you to put your uh, questions in there or you know you know how to get us just 
send an email. We'll, Twitter, we'll, LinkedIn. Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. You know, you, Twitter, at Mark Zandy. I'm just saying, at Mark Zandy. Uh, oh, it's been a while. It's been a while since, since you, uh, I've, uh, I've hawked that uh, Twitter. Uh, what do they call it? Handle. Twitter handle. Is that a yeah. Twitter handle? I think it's Twitter handle. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's fashionable, though, to be doing that these days. I'm, I was going to sure. say, are you backing off the Twitter promotion? I, I'm not really following this very <laughs> carefully. I probably should. Um, okay. First question. Uh, how would you rate the Federal Reserve's conduct of monetary policy? Give me a letter grade. Uh, that is from a listener. And uh, uh, Marcel, I'll start with you. How would you uh, rate the Fed's uh, managing uh, conduct uh, in terms of managing policy? We're talking over the past. You define it. That's the question. Yeah. So you, you define it. Uh, however you want to answer it. B minus. Okay. Well, and that's the, I'm sure the Fed will not take that as an answer. They will want to know why. Do you want my notes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. B minus. Why not a B? Why not a C plus? I you think know? they. I think they started too late. I think. I think the reaction on monetary policy was too late, and I worry that it was was late enough that it's it's going to be difficult for them to truly get inflation under control in the time frame that they want to. Now it looks like that's happening. I mean, certainly looks like the inflation data are rolling over. But that doesn't mean that it's not happening too late just based on the way financial markets are reading it or households are reading it or businesses are reading it. Talking about wage growth and setting wages are very sticky, setting employee wages for the next year. Once you give somebody a raise, you can't really take it back. Right. So. So I think they've done well in the communication of what they've done over the past year, but I just worry that they got started too late. So, so you're you're saying, oh, back to the start of 2022, the funds rate target was still at the zero lower yeah. bound. That they were still buying bonds, uh, QEing, quantitative easing, and uh, all. And at that same point in time, given inflation, given how the uh, job market was performing, given financial conditions, the value of the dollar, all the things they look at for gauging the appropriate stance of monetary policy, <clears throat> they should have been raising interest rates much sooner than they actually did. That's what you're saying. And therefore, that can't be an A. It, it can't even be a solid B. That's a B minus because of that. Yeah. Mistake. I mean, granted, in retrospect, we'll see how they did. <laughs> well, what if I but, push back a little bit and say, well, a little, and I don't want to be a defender here. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, they would say, and I think with some legitimacy, Hey, did you know about the Russian invasion of Ukraine? You know, that didn't happen until February of last year. And, you know, moreover, and, and that's when inflation expectations really took off. It's when Russia invaded and oil prices spiked and gasoline went north and food prices started to rise because of higher diesel costs. And you saw these this this uh, untethering of inflation expectations. And that's what ultimately that's in their reaction function. That's what that's one of the criteria they look at. And they said, oh, gosh, now we got to go because but that wasn't the case until Russia actually invaded. May, you know, you could see oil prices started trending higher back in December of last year when it started to go on the radar screen. But, it, you know, it wasn't really on the radar screen in any effective way until then. It, can I get a B, please? 
No. Yeah, but there was there was evidence even before the invasion that there were inflation issues rearing their head, right? Both in energy markets and caused by supply chains. They knew that the job market was really strong. They knew households had all this excess saving from the pandemic. They were at zero, right? I mean, they they could have started slowly inching up, I think, prior to the invasion. Again, this is this is all Monday morning quarterbacking here. You're right. I mean, certainly if you look at market inflation expectations, they didn't really pop up above that Fed target until the invasion and the acute spike in oil prices. And then the Fed started reacting. But I still think they could have to they should have anticipated some uptick in inflation given what was going on even before that. Okay. All right. B minus Chris, what's your grade? So uh, I give them a B plus on the fed funds rate policy, but I give them a D on the quantitative easing. That's interesting. Um, So overall, what is that? C, C plus, maybe C plus. Oh, explain please. Yeah. So the, so I think they get a, we give them a hard time in terms of the Fed funds, right? Yeah, the timing you mentioned. Uh, also, if we look back, there there was uh, unemployment was still high, relatively high. It was coming down, but still relatively high in 2021. So what are we talking about in terms of when exactly they would have started? Are we, instead of starting in, what was it, March? They would have started in January, yeah, January. or January. December. Yeah. I mean, it's a few months. It doesn't yep. really change the the, the contours all that much, I would I would argue, and there was enough uncertainty that uh, um, I can't really fault them for those policies. But I do fault them for not ending the quantitative easing sooner. And certainly, the MBS purchases went on far too long, and I think stoked uh, the labor uh, the housing market uh, and you know caused house prices to rise even further than, than necessary uh, throughout this period. And that I think does contribute to the inflation where you're still experiencing now those rent increases with house price increases uh in the CPI. So I think that was bad policy. I don't I don't see why that they they felt the need to continue those policies. Yeah, I mean but funds little, rate, I think again, there's enough uncertainty. Yeah. Just a little pushback there, just a little yeah. bit. I mean, it's just it would have been difficult, not impossible, but a little difficult to stop the QE without raising the funds rate at the same time. I mean, you, you know, the, I think the framework for the shift in policy was, you know, they could roughly have to happen. They should happen at, at the same time. Maybe I've got that wrong, but it would have I, I just have been a little tricky for them to say, oh, I'm going to, well, maybe, maybe you're right. It would have been a, tapering. Yeah, maybe. Right? Right. Let's have to go yeah. to zero. I mean, in yeah. fact, it would have been beneficial to yeah. eat into it with more tape, a, a longer horizon. But yeah. And that already, I think that already sends the signal, right? That's a, you're, you're yeah, telling yeah, the market, coming. look, I'm coming. Yeah. Right? I'm on the case here. Right. Right. Especially right. given what we were seeing in the, in the housing market, right? To Mercer's point, there was yeah. data there. There was no lag. Right? We saw prices yeah. going up at double digit rates. Um, yeah. Well, I, I'd give them um, a solid B. Can't get an A because you didn't get it right. I mean, you, uh, you know, you, your fault, not your fault, you know, Hard to know. Uh, I, I'm sympathetic to the argument that this was, you know, the, the Russian invasion wasn't on the radar screen. Therefore, you know, how could I have gotten this right? Fog of data, you know, 
lag right. data, all those things that, you know, are make it difficult to conduct policy. But at the end of the day, how you're not going to get an A unless you get it right. I mean, you can't, it's just not, yeah. and you didn't get it right. You got it wrong. But I, I can't see getting them anything less than a B because so much was out of their control. And policy 101 says if there's a lot of uncertainty, and at the time there was hard to remember, but the pandemic was yeah. still a big deal. You know, we were Omicron was still scary. You know, we were still worried about that. And we still are worried about it. We're still talking about it, you know, but back then, still top of mind. I didn't, Zandy uh, family didn't have uh, Zandy Christmas, you know, where we bring in all my brothers and sisters last Christmas, hard to believe because we were fearful of get everyone getting sick. In fact, some of us had gotten sick, you know, right before Christmas. So uh, policy 101 says, if you have, if there's a lot of uncertainty, err on the side of doing too much, not too little uh, to support the economy. And I think they were following the textbook, the policy uh, man, tech, uh, policy conduct, monetary conduct what do I want to say? The, the conduct of monetary policy textbook or whatever it is, they were following it. So now, now having said that, uh, I'm, I'm not sure what grade I'd give them for the conduct of policy right now. You know, um, I, I'm, you know, my sense is that if I were them, I'd be using two things to kind of gauge the appropriateness of policy. One is inflation expectations. The second is the shape of the curve. Now, I wouldn't be a slave to it, but I would be <laughs> thinking about it and using it. And uh, if inflation expectations are, and I would use the bond market expectations, the one year, five year forward. I, you know, I look at them all, but that's the one I would be most focused on because that's the one I can control most most uh, clearly. Uh, if that's above two and a half percent, probably closer to three. Then, I, then I'd say, okay, I got to keep raising interest rates here, and I got to keep signaling to markets I'm going to raise rates. I got to keep financial conditions tight. I got to get those inflation expectations down. Uh, but right now, the the uh, the bond market inflation expectations, no matter how you measure it, is right on the Fed's target. I mean, I just looked at one year, five year forwards. Uh, that comes out of you know inflation protected securities and swaps, two and a quarter percent. Five, uh, I think the five-year, five-year forward, two and a quarter percent. The five-year break-evens, I think they're less than that. I think they're two. You know, and see, this is CPI inflation. So yeah. that says, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know that I need to be overly worried. I don't need to be hawkish. I don't need to be sending signals. Uh, you know, I'm in a pretty good spot. Uh, I don't want to give people a sense that I'm not going to go to five. I, I, I told people I'm going to five, and that's embedded in those inflation expectations. But I don't think I need to do any more than that. And I'm also now starting to err on the side of doing too much, going back to the yield curve. When the curve gets as inverted as it is, that goes to policy. You know, the Fed, the bond market is saying, oh, the Fed's really jacking up interest rates. And at some point, that's going to really weaken the economy. In the case of a curtain version, historically, that, that's a recession. So that'd be a signal that, you know, uh, hey, guys, uh, you know, that's a little too much. At, uh, first thing I look at is inflation expectations. Whatever that says, I, I'm going to do. But if if they're anchored, then I'm going to sit look at the yield curve, and then I'm going to say, okay, that should be the end of the story. So, I think if they go to five and stay there, I, you know, and I, you know, fine. But if they keep on going, I get pretty annoyed at that, uh, you know, because I think they're at that that point they're doing too much. So, I, I for their policy up to this date and point, I give them a B. Still not clear, you know, what their ultimate grade will be. Uh, but I'd say I'm a little nervous about that at this point. Um, okay, we just covered a lot of ground. Uh, we got a bunch of other questions. 
uh, I'll ask one more, uh, and then we'll call it a podcast. Uh, and that is around the value of the dollar. As you know, the dollar uh, uh, has been strong uh, throughout uh, much of the pandemic. Flight to quality, and the Fed, of, of course, in in twenty twenty two has been raising interest rates a lot faster than other central banks because of the higher rates here compared to the rest of the world. Money's been flowing in, and the dollar's been strong. I think if you go back a couple months ago, maybe maybe it's a month ago, the dollar was at its peak. So you know, at one point, it was pretty close to parity with the the pound. It was pretty. It was it was beyond parity against the the euro. It was closing in on 150 to the yen. I think it was 150 to the yen. Uh, it was strong against the Chinese currency. It's come in now more recently. You, you might have seen in the last couple of days, the Bank mm-hmm. of Japan announced a shift in their policy around the yield curve control. And that's called us the, uh, that's a somewhat of a tightening in policy. So we've seen the yen, uh, you know, appreciate a bit in value. Uh, uh, so the, the dollar is off its peaks, but still very, very high. Uh, the question is, where is the dollar headed, broadly speaking? You know, up, down, all around. Where, where do you think it's going, Chris? Depends on the timeline, of course. But um, so, short term, I, I think it stays strong because of the relative uh, strength of the U.S. economy compared to other parts of the world. There's still a lot of uncertainty, flight to quality. Um, I mean, some adjustments here as all central banks are reacting to each other. But uh, I don't see it. I don't see the dollar really losing uh, ground uh, for a while until we get uh, a bit of stabilization here. So I'd say dollar remains the best bet uh, out there and continue to have uh, strength. What about a year from now when we're in recession? In your recession? We're in recession. Well, we're in recession. It's got to be easing at that point, presumably. Yeah, that's right. Um, So we're in recession, but it's, uh, again, it's all relative, right? Uh So also the rest of the globe is in recession as well at that point. So even then, right, the dollar is weaker, but uh, it's not, uh, it's still relatively uh, stronger compared to other currencies. I think it's not until after that recession and things stabilize that the dollar actually comes back in, gets closer to its equilibrium. Right. And do you think there's any chance the Fed, excuse me, the US loses its or reserve currency status, or even the, the reserve currency status is diminished. And you saw the, uh, this was another question about uh, the Russian and Chinese are now trying to buy uh, oil. Uh, I don't think I, it wasn't, not with dollars, but maybe their own currencies. I, I, mean, own I can't, currency. Yeah, their own currencies. It, and of course, the fact that oil in most commodities, uh, in most goods are traded in dollars gives the U.S., uh, dollar uh, reserve currency status, which is you know very important, um, uh, very significant privilege, uh, and gives us a lot of economic benefit. Do you think there's any chance that that will be significantly diminished anytime in the near future? I don't see it. Um, yeah, and with actually with the crypto crisis, currency crisis, I think it even strengthens the dollar's position even more. Right, people, even consumers now. Uh, Retail investors are thinking about uh, safety of currencies, and I think the dollar remains the champion there. Got it. Right. Yep. Marissa, any other any views on that? Do you have any strong opinions on that this I, question? I, I, I completely agree with everything you said. I mean, I, I feel like as an economist, we've been getting that question about the dollar as the reserve currency for years and years, and it's just still, if you look around the world... <laughs> one of the least risky places. So 
yeah, I agree with Chris's assessment. Yeah. I, I guess that's the answer. I mean, what's the alternative? Right. Really? Yeah. The pound? Mm, the, nope. the yen? Mm, the yuan? Huh? The euro? We could, we could still screw it up with the debt ceiling. Yeah. And- <laughs> well, a lot of yeah. this came, you know, was precipitated by the decision to, uh, to uh, when, the U- when Russia invaded, the U.S. froze uh, dollar reserves uh, of, uh, of Russia. And yeah. so that sent a signal that, you know, those, those dollars are not sacrosanct. <laughs> they can be they can be frozen. And so I think uh, uh, obviously that's one of the reasons why Russia and China want to get off the dollar as fast as they can, but I don't see how that happens. Yeah. It'd be very difficult. Okay, good. So what do you think of this, this, this uh, new feature of the podcast, this listener that's question? Great. You I like, like it? it? You do? Okay. All right. Okay. We're going to do this going forward. So listener, you're on, give us those and try to stump us, try to stump us. Um, and you should know, I did not tell Chris or Marissa the questions beforehand. So this, these were answers. Uh, maybe that, maybe you're disappointed. I didn't tell them. But I think it makes it more interesting, you know, more spontaneously so get, you know, people's uh, true feelings. I think if we don't uh, let them think about it, <laughs> so they, they got to respond, but uh, please send in your questions. Well, Hey guys, this is the end of the podcast. Uh, I want to wish you a, Uh, happy holidays uh, and I'll see you on the other side. Take care now.